0: Welcome to the PharmaTalk Radio Podcasts. This podcast is focused on investment trends in I.O. from the 2022 Immuno-Oncology 360 Summit. For more information about the Immuno-Oncology 360 Summit, our editorial, podcasts, and webinars, please visit io360summit.com. Thank you and enjoy the
1: podcast. So we have a great group uh, of, you know, representatives of the investment community here for this uh, conversation and we're hoping to actually engage the audience a little bit so if you have questions for the panel in the second half of this conversation please feel free to ask them so don't be shy. So what we're trying to do is uh, address you know, some of the obvious questions that uh, people would have in the current market situation and what that means for immuno-oncology at large, both from a business development perspective and from a general value perspective. How do we come back from the situation that we're currently in? So before we start, I'd like to just make sure you know who our panelists are. Guys, if you just move over one side, should sure here, then I can stick with you. And give me that, yes, thank you. All right, so I think we're ready, we're set up. So we'll just do a quick introduction so you know who's on stage and we'll go from there. So why don't you begin,
2: Astika? Okay, thank you Axel, and thanks for having me on the panel and uh, thanks to uh, the conference forum. Astiga a Senior Biotech Analyst at Truist Securities.
3: Hi, thank you so much for having me, Axel. Irina Margina, I do private investing at Wellington.
4: Uh, Axel, thanks for the um, invitation. My name is Greg Savanovich. I'm a senior biotech analyst at um, Mizuho Securities.
5: Um, I'm just r- delighted to be part of this panel, so thank you again. And Jonathan oops. Is this on? Jonathan Fassberg, uh, vice chair of healthcare at Oppenheimer. Thanks, Axel. All right.
1: So, as you can see, it's a pretty diverse and illustrious group of people on stage. So, I'd like to pose a question to the panel to begin this conversation, which is about the current market situation. So, we all have obviously noted that the biotech market is not in best shape. (laughs) Uh, That is an understatement, I know. Uh, You know, from an IPO perspective, we have seen that the companies that have gone public over the year 2021 – 87% 87% of them are now trading below their IPO price and 37% was the average loss of value across that spectrum of companies so these are i just give you those two numbers that are significant numbers if you think about how you know highly valued biotech was throughout the last two years of the pandemic so you know People have called this a market correction in some ways, uh, both on the SPAC side on the, on the, and on the IPO side. So I'm curious to hear just you know the experts' position on this. How do you view this current market situation, and how do you think we
5: might actually come back from that? So who would like to begin? Jonathan? Maybe, maybe I'll start, just uh, I'm the oldest guy here in the room, so <laughs> maybe in the world. Biotech, but you know, there was a time, kids, when uh, when biotech wasn't so easy, and you know, there were always these moments of uh, struggle and and uh, like deserts of capital, and you know that that always happened, and so we became you know, spoiled, I guess, in the last couple of years where it was like, oh my God, you know, you just have an idea, you find some, you know, a couple funds to put capital in and then there was a crossover and then, you know, you know that story. And that didn't really make sense to most of us and probably all the people on this panel were wondering what's going on. This it doesn't make sense. Uh, I guess, you know, what we see, so we've been talking at, at Oppenheimer to most of the companies and funds, and the biggest shock to us that is that most of the funds can't differentiate between all the companies that have come out. And so I think that's a, that's a big challenge, because what we used to have in the old days is that people knew the companies really well, and they had some personal connection to the science, to the to the company, and so there was a real deep commitment to, to keeping it afloat and driving it. So I, maybe I'll just pass it there to my colleagues, because I think you know they can continue that conversation.
4: Yeah, maybe just picking up on what Jonathan just said. So I, I've been very fortunate that I've been um, in the seat that I'm in since 2000. So I've been watching the sector for 20 years. And... For those who are newer to kind of how the biotech markets have been doing over the past several years, um, obviously we've seen a lot of new company creation, we've had a supportive capital markets environment. Um, I think there are a lot of factors behind that on on how things coalesced uh, over the last several years, and maybe we'll pick pick back up on that later, but, um, you know, there used to be, I mean, the term is like an IPO window, right, where companies can go public, and the window, like, opens and it closes and it used to be that you know periodically maybe throughout a particular year the window would open and then it would close and what we I think saw over the past let's say five six seven years is that that window began opening say 2013 or so 2014 and it just stayed open <laughs> and uh, it kind of hit its peak I would say um, towards the end of twenty. 20- kind of the second half of 2020 and into the first quarter of 2021 um, at my last firm I um We did a ton of biotech IPOs. Um, I was on the the front line or the firing line, and just the volume of deals coming through was unheard of. Um, And I think a lot of that had to do with, quite honestly, investment trends related to uh, the pandemic and what sectors within the, um, the market were performing well and which parts of the market were not performing well. And so as with the pandemic, um, you know, the world kind of shut down a lot of um, sectors that were very levered to the consumer and, you know, people traveling and like those sectors obviously got hit. And there was a lot of focus on vaccine development and whether it was like the Modernas of the world and companies that were developing vaccines. And I think what we ended up seeing is... Is a lot of instead of the what we call the healthcare specialists who focus on biotech, um, and they're always going to be interested in biotech. But we saw the generalists um, kind of rotate into biotech because of the other parts of the market that typically you might have invested in. Uh, remember, there was a time that oil was at, trading at like negative value. That was crazy. Um, but they were they were chasing performance, and they all kind of rotated into biotech. So if you look at, um, you know, if you go back to Andrew Baum's slide on the collapse of the biotech market, you see this huge spike that happened basically coincided with 2020 and the pandemic, um, and it starts collapsing in the beginning of last year kind of when we start getting vaccines available to people. And so I think what generalist investors decided to do was they were trying to telegraph like the return of when those other beaten up sectors, which were now trading very cheaply, those were where the opportunities were. And then, like, everyone, we call it, like, a, a crowded long, or, you know, everyone was piled into biotech and was like, okay, maybe it's time to, like, take our money out of biotech. And so that's what we saw, I think, in the first quarter, um, probably February of last year, is when you saw that peak in the biotech market. And some of us track the XBI, which is an index that's supposed to track the biotech market. It's one of several indexes, indices. Um but you now find, uh, or we now find ourselves in a market environment where we have rising interest rates. We have uncertainty on a geopolitical, you know, um, scale which we don't know what's gonna happen with Russia, Ukraine. It creates a lot of uncertainty and that's gonna create a lot of volatility, but especially in a rising interest rate environment, um, investors say, well, where can I go to find return? And as interest rates rise, you're gonna see um, perhaps investing in more speculative sectors like biotech and tech, they've been hit, not surprisingly. So there is context for, I think, in my opinion, what's what's happened over the past several years. Um, you know we can have a discussion as to maybe how long this we're gonna be in this period, but um with that, maybe I'll just pass it along to to others on the panel if they've got other feedback
3: yeah maybe i'll I'll just pick up on a couple of ideas that that you discussed, and I definitely agree with um everything um so far I think um Maybe just really briefly on the question of uh, Im- you know interest rates and the impact it might have on on biotech. Um, you know, obviously we haven't seen that in a while. I think the the one encouraging data point that maybe I'll mention is that last time when we saw one of these tightening cycles. Um, it, it was in 2013, and actually, if if you look at the performance of biopharma versus uh, the S&P 500, for example, actually biopharma outperformed uh, significantly over the following 12 months. And obviously, as we all remember, 2013 was the start of uh, a really strong bull market for for small biotech companies. So the 2013 to 2015. So, obviously, we don't know if, if that will necessarily repeat, you know, if history will repeat itself, but I think that's just one ray of, of light that I might mention. And then maybe just really briefly picking up on the idea of, you know, this this increasing number of companies that we've seen uh, both being created and accessing the, the public market. Um, I think obviously one of the uh, one of the consequences of that increased appetite of the public market for uh, biotech companies and in particular preclinical companies, um, what that meant was that the bar just got lower and lower and lower. And what we're seeing now over the past few months is that uh, you know the data that's coming out of these companies is maybe not as encouraging as people were hoping and I think Morgan Stanley did uh, uh, an analysis where they were trying to quantify the the number of positive catalysts versus you know negative readouts and it, it sounds like you know back in 2020 2019 about 60 percent of the data readouts tended to be positive whereas over the last few months that number went down to under 30 percent so obviously that hasn't helped sentiment, um, you know, uh, in the sector. And uh, um, I guess we'll, we will have to see how things evolve over the next year or two, as the the IPO classes of 2020 and 2021, um, you know, continue to to mature. Um, so maybe I'll leave it there and.
2: Well, my colleagues on the panel have very eloquently uh, described, made all the points <coughs> to be made on the question. But maybe I'll add something here because I get the question of, you know, how bad is this really? Is this how does this compare to other bear markets that we've seen in biotech? Um, and I think it's wrong, maybe, to compare it to 2014. To, uh, sorry, 2015-2016 that uh, the pullback that we had there. This this feels a lot worse. And when you actually look at maybe some of the valuations and you look at um, maybe The number of companies or the percentage of companies in the NBI that's trading at cash or below cash. This actually resembles uh, the bear market that happened in 2008. Now, of course, at the time there was a global financial crisis, but I would say we're not, we're kind of sort of similar right now because given we have a pandemic and a potential war um, looming. So I I would say that this feels a lot like the 08 pullback, and maybe that's what we want need to look at in terms of how long it'll take for us to come back out of it.
1: All right, so some some good insights here. The you know, whenever you have a trend that is very rapid and very extreme, like I would say the rise of IO actually has been if you think about history of oncology drug development, IO came out of nowhere, relatively quickly rose to be a very large field with a lot of activity and a lot of value generated, like the PD1 antibodies have been driving. And then there's always, when you have a massive trend like this, there has to be some normalization at some point yeah. in time. And I think uh, the word IO fatigue that I've heard now a few times is somewhat related to that. It means, you know, it's no, it's no longer as rapidly uh, successful as we have seen during the rise of the PD-1 story. You know, if you do 30 labels on one drug, as Ketruda has done... Where are, you, where are you going to do that uh, again? That's, if you set expectations for that to be normal, you can only get disappointed. So, you know, my question now to the panel, if you take that as the backdrop, is you know there have been some interesting market reactions to specific scenarios that occurred in the I/O uh, in the I/O world, like cell and gene therapy has had a phenomenal rise enormous valuations and it's dipping right now. Why is it dipping? Not because of the overall market it's actually dipping for, in itself for a reason and you know some of you have written very insightful comments on this. I've seen you know a company that has um, for solid tumors which is the holy grail right now in cell therapy going from liquid tumors in small patient populations to solid tumors in larger patient populations to really you know, do the value returns that we need for the investments that were already made, 30% response rate in a phase one trial in a solid tumor indication, and getting your market cap cut in half as a consequence doesn't compute, right? Something doesn't compute. So, And there's a variety of observations like that in the IR community that I'd like to get a bit more, you know, Thoughts around. So, Astika I go back to you, uh, since you cover cell therapy very well, and give us a sense of what. How do you feel about this?
2: Yeah, thanks, Axel. So, I mean, to to the point. Um, I think the bar has. Been set high right now um, because of what happened with uh, with PD1. And I think people uh, and investors may be expecting, and analysts may be expecting, every other um, IO and cell therapy company to, uh, to, uh, to produce similar kind of results very early on. And that's actually very difficult to do. I mean, we think about everyone in the room here knows this already. IO is very difficult, cell therapy is very difficult. We got to PD1 after decades of work in immuno-oncology um, and, 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 and that took a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, but we got there. But people, uh, the, the broader markets only started noticing once the data was there and started coming out of that phase one study and then thought, oh, this, this is amazing, and now that set the bar for everything else. Um, as a result, now we're looking at it through the same lenses. <laughs> So if it doesn't hit on efficacy and the safety doesn't look amazing, it gets punished. And I think it's also then convoluted by the markets that we're in, too. These markets that we're in and maybe the valuations that were set in the markets are sort of demanding perfection um, Mm -hmm. at every data point that comes out. And we can't do that. Trials are meant that will hopefully succeed but sometimes trials a lot of them are made to fail because there's exploration that needs to be done there's lessons that need to be learned but unfortunately we don't have we don't build that into our evaluations that th- there's a certain cost of doing the experiment and the learning that needs to take place
3: I think part of this speaks to what Jonathan was talking about earlier, too. There's just so many companies out there for people like us to cover and know intimately, um, and it's just become harder and harder to do so. So when when investors are, are spread so thin, inevitably they have less of a, less knowledge about those particular programs and you know less ability to kind of put the results in the context that they need to be. To be interpreted in.
5: Yeah, and I think always like hopes and dreams are what drive the the excitement around investing but the realities are like you guys were saying are much more complicated so we we kind of have to put it back to the companies to say you know you have you have to deliver and my hope for this industry is that you know we kind of left big pharma because we we wanted to be innovative and grinding and create novel drugs that cure diseases in ways that have never been done and so that 's hard, so it's great to tell a story to have a novel science come out of your lab and then to execute on all the uh, you know milestones is really hard and so oftentimes uh, the impressions that Wall Street have on the operational execution don't match and then you know you have that conflict of well you're you're lying to me or we lose faith in investing in this space but rather it's just reality it's a little bit like when you have a baby and then that you you have all these hopes and then you have a teenager god you know good luck and then you have a uh, you know kind of a kid who graduates college and they i I'm experiencing this so uh and you're they're like hey what what are we going to do now and I'm like uh And I don't know what you're going to do now, but, uh, you know. So it's a little bit like these companies, right? The the reality of... Executing trials of figuring shit out is really hard, and we just have to deal with that, and then not to kind of look at each other. What, what happens is the investors look at the companies, the companies look back, and the investors, you're judging me unfairly, and then the markets are, you know, swing. But I think there's amazing. I, I'd like to be somewhat optimistic that in this mess, there's incredible opportunities, and you know, people overlook them, and then you get to pick them. So. Yeah, I think I I just want to pick up on
4: Axel's comment on, does it make sense that a company which reports positive data then finds its value cut in half? Okay. Now, it's typically probably not the situation that you're describing where, like, Directly after the data, positive data, the valuation was cut in half. Unless there was something in that data set per se, but you know, if we fast forward to where we are today and what the current market environment is. Um, You know, the market and investors are not punishing this hypothetical company for reporting positive data. I think that company in this hypothetical situation is just part of a broader investor sentiment where biotech. Is not the favorite place to be and for um, many of you or for some of you who um, may not be familiar with like who actually is doing the investing um, you know it's not so much uh, individuals like yourself that we're talking about we're talking about institutional investors Um, we're talking about large mutual fund complexes we're talking about large hedge fund uh, complexes and what we saw in 2021 was a lot of big, uh, well known, and very excellent funds be they probably more as the healthcare specialists like had a really tough year. Is it because like they made the wrong bets? Not necessarily, it's just the market changed, the market dynamics were very, very unusual relative to the past several years. The last several years, like, you could have basically thrown darts at a dartboard and you probably made money, Okay, The average, I think, IPO uh, in 2020 was up, like, 50%. So it's like you didn't have to be selective. Like, they all went up. Um, And so that's what made generalists follow and say, this is where we're going to make our returns for the year. Our job is to help grow a pot of money, and biotech is the place we need to to be in. when investors experience underperformance in such a way, like they might force themselves to like liquidate positions uh, for various reasons, we don't have to get into technicalities. But it's almost like some sometimes selling begets more selling because they just want to exit out of positions and just be in cash because at least the cash is not going to go anywhere. So I think we've had just this confluence of factors over the past 12 months that has led to where things are. But I would agree with Jonathan, like, I think there's a lot of great opportunity. I mean, one of the reasons why the biotech sector has done so well over the past five years is because of just, um, it seems as if just a massive dialing up of innovation and some really tremendous Clinical data and achievements and results. I mean, whether it's mRNA technologies, whether it's, you know, we heard Rachel talk about CRISPR approaches and, and applying that now in, into, um, you know, CAR T or, or, you know, different types of cell therapies. Um, it's just an amazing um, amount of progress we've seen, and I think the markets and investors were excited by that, but perhaps it's been an overcrowded situation. Valuations have gone way up, or they did, and now they've come back down. It doesn't mean that necessarily that companies are so undervalued. I mean, I'm not here to, I mean, we can have a debate whether companies are valued appropriately today, or perhaps they're undervalued. Um, I always say I is in the beauty, um, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. But I do think that you have to think of biotech on a longer-term lens, right? If you look at the XBI, which is the index that I mentioned, like, you know, relative to 10 years ago, like, the XBI is up, like, 250%. Like, that's pretty good, okay? The reason why people are, like, running for the hills and they're panicking is because in the past year it's down 50%. <laughs> So, if you have a longer term view, like I would argue that this is a good time to be thinking about investing in biotech. Now, again, there's lots of volatility in the markets for the reasons we mentioned before, but you need to have a longer term view. And, you know, it's up to investors like Irina and others who are looking at Publix to, like, be at that front line, be like, maybe now is the time. I'm not saying now is the time, but certainly relative to, like, a year ago when you're getting something that's 50% off, it makes it more. More interesting.
2: Maybe, sorry, maybe I'll just add a little something here um, on valuations. It does feel a little something's off when you have a $250 million market cap company that got beaten down to that point that has maybe $100 million of cash in the balance sheet um, that is leading the charge in maybe uh, developing a really novel cell therapy, and that's at $250 million valuation, whereas you get some of these app companies that just recently IPO'd, and they're at $4 billion. So there seems something a little off about it, though. Just after. Yeah.
1: yeah, I mean, if we live in a world of extremes, which we are at the moment, right, not just from a general market perspective, but also from a, what constitutes fundable technology in general, what constitutes something that's worth starting a company for. If you live in a world of extremes where every single new idea can become a company, not all of these things can work out right? so we have had a bit of inflation in terms of investment in biotech uh, certainly in IO which is why we're now seeing this recalibration and the one thing I found always amazing is you know the unrealistic expectations that sometimes exist towards what constitutes success or failure if you measure PD1 as the benchmark and if you don't create another pd1 then this it's no good it, The probability of failure is 99.5% right so that's just the reality that's an unrealistic expectation there can be enormous success with a much smaller benefit than what pd1 produces across this wide spectrum but we need to see it that way and i remember when the checkpoints went g- to the sec- second wave so everybody was looking for the next pd1 and we're actually still looking Uh, It was expected that agonist antibodies, for example, will do the same thing. If it's not like PD-1 is no good, when OX40 came, it died and went down in flames fast because it just couldn't, in the first wave of data, couldn't measure up to PD-1 and it just disappeared. And there are other examples like that. I think what we need to do is recalibrate expectations, set more realistic expectations, and don't take every new technology that pops up into a company. There are other ways of moving technologies forward than having a company foundation for every single thing. I'm not saying uh, the valid uh, ideas shouldn't be
4: supported and driven, but not everything is a valid idea. Just a comment on the expectations game. I mean that, that as someone who's a public markets equity analyst, um, expectations typically are set by companies and management teams, right? And you got to remember that biotech is about buying into the dream. It's all about telling a good story, right? You're trying to convince investors like this is an investment opportunity for you. Um, and this is the, the market that I see for this product, this asset, this technology, and it's usually companies that set that expectation. So, People like myself, um, or like Irina, or public um, equity investors, will will listen to management teams. We'll do our own diligence, and you know, if a management team says we think that peak sales for this IO product are going to be 10 billion, <laughs> they're the ones setting the expectation. I might have a different view. I might say it might be 12. I might say it's two. Right. So the expectation game is is a funny game because it's really initially set. I think by management teams. And of course they're telling the story that they think is going to resonate with investors. I mean, if you had a a company, you're like, Hey, we think peak sales are going to be $20 million. And they're like, "Mm, okay, might be interesting, but it's not really what I want to invest in. But if someone says, I've got uh, an asset that I think can generate 5 billion peak sales," like, Oh, this sounds really interesting. So the expectation game is a a funny situation.
1: And I add one more point, Uh, you know, starting a new company for in an area where there is already saturation, just because the sentiment is the market can bear it and we will still make some money on it. Not true anymore, not true now. And so you know the Gordon gecko idea of greed is good may not be the right motivation at this moment in time. Right, so just uh, I, I would always reflect on that, especially for those that put money into biotech on uh, the venture side early on. Don't start too many of the same things because they all compete with each other on talent, on dollars, and then you know not all of them can work. And if you have too many, the inflation will cost the system.
5: Yeah, I mean, you you're not going to have a problem starting a new company because it's not going to be possible for, for a little while till these markets come back. So there's like a backlog of a lot of private companies that have been funded by the VCs. So getting a company started and and funded in the way that it was a year ago or a couple of years ago, it's uh, it's not possible right now, sir. So.
4: Well, I would also argue that like uh going public is not necessarily the best thing to do for every company. Um, Disclosure, you have to tell the world everything that you're doing. Like, sometimes you could argue it's better to stay private. Stay in stealth mode. Like, you don't have to disclose anything. Like, your legal costs are way down, too, so it's much cheaper to be a private company. But I think going public is kind of like, you know, it's like that achievement. It's like, you know, bragging rights and um, you know, the world that we live in is a, is a pretty funny game again. <laughs> Alright, so I want
1: to change directions a little bit and then also uh, open the floor for the audience if there are questions from the audience. So the obvious question we all ask ourselves, and I know nobody has a crystal ball and predictions are hard in an environment like this, but we still have to make them, otherwise we don't know, you know what direction to take. So uh, the obvious question is how do we come back from where we are right now, and how does I/O fatigue end, and we get back to you know I/O being the, the shiny object that uh, people are interested in? So, what do you think? How we can come out back from the current market situation? And maybe I start this by saying you know M&A trends have been quoted frequently, that if pharma comes back and starts you know, investing in biotech technologies, companies get acquired, that could be a turning point for the field. It's one potential answer to this. So how do our experts feel about that?
2: Well, as Greg mentioned, um, a lot of the generalists, I think, have left biotech right now, rotated out, gone somewhere else. We need them to come back in. Um, that's going to be really key f- to support the valuations that I think that people would like to see again. Um, and to do that, one of the great ways to do it is actually with MA. but I will just modify it a little bit Axel. It's not just MA. It needs to be maybe at really nice premiums again. We can't have a, a Pfizer coming in and buying a bunch of companies at 20% above what the current trading price is. That's not I don't think really going to excite anyone. It needs to be sig- valuing the pipeline quite significantly and Maybe looking at it, maybe at, at some of the, pre, uh, the pre-crash, um, at a pre to the pre-crash uh, 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 valuations then. We need that to happen to get the journalists back in.
3: And I think we need a string of them, not, not just some disparate transactions. I think we need to see a clear trend, like a, a clear string of, of transactions in order to, to make people feel like maybe the, the tides are changing. Because if you look at 2021, uh, transaction, I mean, on average, 2021 was not a terrible, terrible year. It was not a great year, but it was an okay year from an M&A perspective. And still that didn't really help you know, um, change the the sentiment. Maybe one other point I, I will add. I mean, obviously, data is is probably the the most important thing. Just seeing clinical trials or or. Uh, or catalysts work out, and uh, and and people starting to to believe in that, and also the FDA, right? I think part of the reason why uh, sentiment has has been so so negative has been because uh, many investors have been concerned about the FDA potentially having raised the bar, or you know uh, being a little bit um, uh, maybe less predictable over the past year or so, and. Obviously, just even if you look at 2022, I think in the first eight weeks, we've seen, you know, over 15 clinical holes in CRL. So, um, again, that probably speaks to to Jonathan's point early on, you know, that the average quality of a lot of the, the public companies has maybe gone gone down. But still, there's a lot of questions that people have about that that need to be um, clarify it first, Jim.
4: Yeah, I think it always comes down to data. I mean, we're talking about investment trends in I.O., uh, something that Aska spends all of its time focused on. Uh, I'm a bit more of a generalist, but it's all about data, right? I mean, I think that we've seen a lot of uh, publicly traded companies that focus on I.O. Um, Some of their valuations may not be as healthy as what they once were, because it's it's tough. It's a tough space. Um, You can't just Design the next K Truda. Um, You know, we're still trying to understand the biologies and which combinations work well. And I think we have seen in IO over the past several years, just a string of clinical disappointments. And look, investors um, can can make money by shorting stocks and, and making that bet that, okay, based on this phase one, phase two data, the next data readout we think is going to be negative, And so we're going to short a stock. Um, but last year was a, a tough year for the big data readouts. Uh, they generally did not turn out the way that investors had maybe bet, and that didn't help given the backdrop of other you know, macroeconomic conditions. So I do think that data is the most important thing. Uh, once you get companies, particularly for this audience, I.O. companies, if there are... Better data readouts. Again, we'll play the expectation game, but just need to see more positive data. Um, you know what? What turns around the current broader sentiment about biotech? I think you need to find investors back in what I would call a risk-on type of mindset, like risk-on, risk-off, and going back to interest rates. When the Fed was keeping interest rates like very low, it's basically like where else are you gonna put your money? Um, And if you're not gonna be able to make any money by putting it in a bank account or whatever, like you're just going to look for higher higher returns, right? And because the Fed was printing money, it was like, it's free money. So like, why not take a bet on biotech, right? So you had a very Vegas-like mentality in the markets. And that's why I think investors love biotech because it's one of the rare pockets in the market that on any given day, like you can make 30, 40, 50, 80%, right? Very rare that you can do that in in other sectors. And I think right now, just given where we are in a broader market, it's just, um, it's a very risk off type of environment from an investor perspective, and it it might take some time. And again, what's happening geopolitically across the pond is not really helping either, because who knows, that war could go on for a year, two years? Who knows? We don't know. So my prediction is, when is this going to turn around? I think it's going to be a year plus before you see some rotation back into biotech. And let's hope that the war stops quickly, although I don't know how that's going to happen. But you need to see a lot of macroeconomic conditions fall into place before I think you get big rotation back into biotech.
1: All right, so before we close, uh, we have a few minutes left. Uh, are there questions from the audience? Anything that's burning under your nails that you want to get an opinion on?
0: Well, maybe not, not an opinion, but maybe... Yeah, sorry, this is Thomas Kerbis from, from uh, Satara. Uh, is the microphone on? Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure how that works. Yeah, I think it's on now. So, Thomas Kerbis from Satara. Um, maybe challenging you back as well. So, we come out of this era where indiscriminate investments were made... Thousands of compounds were invested in. The world doesn't need 50 PD1 compounds, it's just not necessary. And so when I hear you say, well, the it's the management teams telling us, oh, this is gonna be ne- next best thing, please invest in us. What are you doing to build up your discriminative power to pick the right science and you know uh, separate out the poor companies? But uh, when I hear that at this point, starting a company is impossible, that's highly discouraging. I get it, the tightest. It's
4: not about. impossible. It's not no,
0: impossible. Well, And that's good to hear. And so knowing that the tide has come out, maybe it's a call to arms to just be cleverer about it. And, and what are you doing about building up that capability inside your companies
5: right i yeah agree i think you just have to you know you're going to need to be creative the 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 sources of capital that were there kept expanding right and then you know you got the feeling that every university thought oh this is a great way to make a lot of money you Take your technology, spin it out into a company. So, yeah, obviously it's not impossible because there's always some somebody who will invest. It's just the, uh, yeah, the discrimination now because maybe people are super, super discriminating, and and it's really hard to do that. So, it, it's just the flow, right? Uh, it's, it's challenging, but it always was. You know, it was in the '90s. It was really challenging to start a biotech company because there weren't that many investors. Nobody understood how you're going to value this, and so maybe we're back to some of that those worlds.
4: Uh, yeah. I just want to pick up on um, company creation from the investor side, from the VC side. I mean, they've been able to raise significant funds over the past two years, so there is money out there don't don't get you know don't get us wrong we're not here to paint you know gloom and doom like there are um, there are investors who are willing to fund companies for sure I think the key is you have to the, the pitch that you have has like the bar is just much higher now um, and some of those VCS may have to deploy the funds that they've raised to support some of the initial investments they made in other companies so instead of deploying new funds to a new opportunity they may have to deploy those new funds to like supporting existing companies
5: so um, yeah, and I would I would say no, you know, no one's guilty and no one's innocent in this game. We all played in this, and so you know, it feeds it it feeds itself. I, I I'm as guilty as anyone, you know, uh, because we did deals. You just keep doing them if they come across. Yeah, and you know, from a volatility perspective, if you want to
1: get some of the volatility out of the system, solid operating performance is a good answer to that. So that means you pick something that is maybe not the next. Solution to a pandemic because you will need to have a pandemic first so you can apply that solution. And you, you know, I wouldn't bet on that as the next thing that will happen. So, uh, think about technologies that can make an impact now, have a high probability of success, and then deliver some solid operating performance that would get us back. There's no question if you have more of those. I made that decision just recently to leave pharma and go in. To buy a tech, and that shows something that I would believe has high probability of success with a solid operating performance, we can deliver it, and it will not be subjected to the same volatility that many other new ventures have. So you can argue, right, what's more sexy, what is it Do you want to spend your time on, but that's what's going to get us back if you do more of it.
0: Yeah. yeah, well, I wish it was like that because that's that's the part where the discrimination is sort of missing. We went IPO a year and a half ago, 10 years of 10 to 13 uh, 13 to 15% CAGR growth annually, and our market cap went from 6 billion to 3 billion in the last couple of months. You know, that's the reality. It's a timing time
1: time issue.
4: It's a timing issue. Yeah. Yeah. It's brutal. Yeah.
5: yeah.
1: There's one more question for the audience. Oh, we got yeah. time
4: for me, Axel? Thanks. So this is a great panel, a uh, little, little depressing, but a great panel. So, so I'm, I'm Rob Ross, the CEO at Surf's Oncology. I'm interested for your guys' perspective on what I think is a unicorn in small biotech, but I'm wondering if this market and this environment will push us there, and that's consolidation. So I'm not talking about BMS buying cell gene. I'm talking about small to mid-sized biotech looking for, God forbid, redundancies but also more shots on goal by combining pipelines in order to generate value. So it never happens as far as I can tell, um, but I'd love your guys' perspective on A, am I right? Does it never happen? And B, is there a chance that in this new world, say for those of us who weren't here in you know, 1995, 2002, is there a chance that we'll see more of than that? Thanks. So I think, Rob, your question is about mergers of equals of smaller companies um, and combining pipelines. I think um, if you get two smaller companies, uh, putting themselves together could, on the one hand, make sense. Um, look, mergers are never good for employees because someone loses job, loses their job. Um, it's always good for management teams. But I think the, the issue is going to be what is – what is the payout what is the reward for management teams and boards to consider putting two companies together right if you're if you used to be valued at a billion and now you're valued at 500 million or 250, like merging with another 250 million market cap company doesn't really do anything. So, my simple uh, view about that a very intriguing scenario that you that you asked us to opine about, like I just we haven't seen it, and I think it simply is about um, what are the incentives for a management team to consider that. But since you're the CEO of a company, maybe uh, you have a different perspective. <laughs> Okay, any other
1: thoughts on this? Any other comments from the panel? We are out of time. Uh, Brad is already waiting. So uh, any closing closing thoughts from the panel?
4: I would just say uh, this was a little bit depressing, but (laughs) investors... Love biotech. We—that's why we're in it. That's that's why we invest in it. Uh, it's just from a broader market sentiment perspective, it's just not a happy time. But please continue to like innovate. Continue to push forward. Mm-hmm. Uh,
5: develop those great drugs because we're here for patients. So. Fantastic, yes. I think yeah. we all concur with that. Jonathan? Yeah, I mean, just that, you know, like Brad would say, like if you're curing cancer, then it's hard and, and got to do it and keep working at it, you know. But we are trying to cure cancer. We're not just trying to make stocks go up. All right. Yeah. I think we're good for now. So thank you very much for your attention, and I give the word
1: back to back to you.
0: We hope you enjoyed the podcast. For more information about the Amino Oncology 360 Summit, our editorial, podcasts, and webinars, please visit io360summit.com. Thank you.